This is Sean, and you're listening to Promise, a podcast showcasing the heroes of tomorrow. Every episode is an exploration on the idea of promise itself, whether that's the potential for success or the commitments we make to get there. I speak with exceptional, purpose-driven people on their journeys to change the world. This week, we get onto the hot-button topic of artificial intelligence. I sit down with Thor Berg, co-founder of Ask Felix. Ask Felix is an AI-powered platform aiming to make simple sense of all the data people have at hand. We chat about democratizing access to the oil of our age, building AI on top of AI, what studying entrepreneurship does and doesn't teach you, finding a niche in an ocean of startup competition, and sharing optimism for an AI-powered future. Please enjoy my discussion with Thor Baird. Okay, today on the show, we welcome Thor Berg, one of the co-founders of Ask Felix. Thor, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thor, you've described Ask Felix to me as a AI and GPT-powered data visualization platform. But when I've seen the product demo, it seems to do quite a bit more than that. So to open our discussion, I'd love for you to describe yourself and what it is you're trying to do with Ask Felix. I'm an entrepreneur, but at the core, I'm a forever optimist, I would say. I truly believe anything is possible as long as you set your mind to it. And as long as you have the right tools, the right people, and you keep working hard, you'll get to what you need. And Ask Felix is, is, fits in with that a lot. Ask Felix is a, as you said, a, a GPT powered data visualization agent, but it's so much more than that. It's really going to be in the future, managers go to Buddy to actually start getting simple questions answered, advanced questions answered, and just becoming so, so, so much more productive than they've ever been before. So taking the best out of all the language models that we want to use, adding our own sprinkle of AI into that mix as well to make something that is just so seamless and easy for everyone, really regardless of their background, regardless of their language, wherever they are in the world, and really helping reduce those barriers to entry to use something like an advanced tool that normally has been only left to the more expensive or resource-heavy companies that can afford it. Awesome. The reason we're having this discussion ultimately is because there's been a lot of media coverage of AI. And over the last six to nine months or so, we've seen a very public explosion in AI capabilities that have resulted in a lot of adoption by a lot of people. I think I saw a stat somewhere that ChatGPT is the fastest rate of adoption of any kind of technology in the history of mankind. There are some very good reasons to that. Like you said, it makes processing of certain functions a lot more accessible. But just broadly, why do you think people who haven't dived into any of these tools. Why do you think they should care about AI? Yeah, on the adoption side first, we ran a survey back in February 2023, so just a few months ago, on nearly 1,200 managers in Australia. And we threw in the question, have you used AI or have you used GPT specifically? And at that point in February, it was about 30% that answered they'd used it or at least seen it. 
I reckon that number, if we ran that survey today, just a few months later, would probably up in the 50, 60% for sure. As to why it's so important for people to actually get onto using something like GPT, you can't avoid seeing it, right? If you're on LinkedIn nowadays, there's every single day we're getting spammed with, here's the latest 10 AI tools. And, you know, it's a point of, okay, now we're going from seeing a lot of them to now finding which are the ones that are going to really help us, right? And the reason that people should be aware of this is that it's opened up this whole endless opportunity for people, right? Both on speed, on growth. You see how engineers can now do things that require manual code to create a lot of these applications. They can now do that five to 10 times faster. We really see AI as it's going to transform the world. It's going to increase productivity, which in turn then really increases the value for humanity in many different ways. Like I mentioned to you in the beginning there, we want to create something that everyone anywhere can use. And then once we built the foundation of Felix, for example, it should be able to be applied regardless of industry as well. But the hype is, is real. A, a professional not using GPT going forward is definitely missing out. That's for sure. It's kind of like the expectation of hiring someone right now is that they should be able to use Google. The expectation of the future hiring process is that they will be required to be able to use something like ChatGPT or so. Um, yeah, a bit of a long-winded answer there, but it's the advantages right now. It's so beneficial for so many people. It'd be silly not to jump on board. Awesome. All right. I guess the counterpoint to that is alongside the hype of AI, there's been quite a bit of fear as well. We've had Sam Altman, founder of OpenAI, sitting in front of the United States government talking about how certain things should be regulated and there are potential existential risks for humanity if they were not. What do you think the risks are and how do you feel about them? Yeah, as I said in the beginning, I'm a forever optimist. So I see AI as something that's going to help more people than it's going to harm. For sure, we can already see scammers using AI to impersonate voice and audio, convincing people to spend money on things that aren't real. There's obviously a risk on just that basic front on the misuse of AI. I'm not going to go into the like the general AI where it's going to take over the world. I think from today and for the next couple of years, at least, the biggest fear is about this removing jobs, right? Am I going to lose my job? For a lot of people, I would argue, yes, you will lose a portion of your job. Probably not your whole job, dude, but the parts that can more easily be done by an AI will take over. The fear of regulation. So with Sam and what he said there, uh, regulation has its place for sure. And I think when it comes to how the data is used within models, it needs to be more transparent, making sure that we hold organizations like Google or OpenAI more accountable on how have you trained this data set? What is it trained on? Reducing hate speech. Facebook released a chatbot that was basically trained automatically from people engaging with it. And very quickly did that go south, right? Regulation is important, but it shouldn't hinder the speed at which we're improving things. Because if you think about it, the more of these basic tasks, the day-to-day stuff, if we can get to a point in our lives where that is auto-generated, auto-done, then we can, as a humanity, focus on things that are way more important. I do believe in the idea of a universal basic income in the future, and this is a step towards that. And I think probably one of the big things we need to look out for 
is to make sure that this technology doesn't create more of a divide between groups of people so that it actually does empower. And I think that's where perhaps the regulation can help a lot, where it's not made or used in a bad way, but actually made to help everyone. And we don't put up those barriers of you can use it, you can't. Yeah, awesome. Obviously, uh, amidst all of this hype and all of the fear and fear mongering and talk of regulation and closed source versus open source, there is literal bombardment of information about everything AI right now. Is there anything you think that we're not paying attention to or not talking about enough in this space? Like I mentioned, I think more and more focus should be put on how can we use this for good? So again, breaking down those barriers. For example, I used to work with clinical trials and the way that AI can be applied right now into clinical trials is we can break down so many barriers. So funding should be focused on organizations that are trying to assist with those problems where the divide is greater. Data privacy for sure is something I think people are not paying enough attention to. We had a big way with GDPR over in Europe and it's kind of been forgotten a little bit. It's going to come up pretty soon. So a lot of organizations are going to be struggling to to match that and and keep pace with those privacy laws as they pop up again. The great thing with this is the conversation is happening everywhere. So even if we are missing something, there is still someone looking at that specific part that maybe the rest of us aren't looking at. So I'm not too worried about us not paying too much attention on one particular thing. Okay. I want to dive into your history a little bit because my understanding is up until quite recently, you didn't have anything or much at all to do with machine learning or artificial intelligence. Can you talk me through your background quickly? You mentioned you worked in clinical trials, and my understanding is that you also studied entrepreneurship and innovation. So could you give us a quick run through of your history? Sure thing. I nearly stepped on the path of studying computer and math engineering at uh, Lunds University in Sweden, but ended up instead flying to Australia to study business. It was a big shift on, on my plans. What I found through studying at the University of Queensland, that was a big focus on marketing, on business, human resource management. And I found myself that I was going to be a HR manager in the next 20 years and follow that path. But I quickly found when I left university and started my first role in HR, I found that it was a bit too narrow. It was a lot about policymaking. It was a lot about administrative tasks that I just found could be done in a better way. So the first thing I ended up doing at that first role was took this whole manual process that they had and implemented an electronic HR system. That was the natural one. And, and then as I finished that role, I had the opportunity to study at Copenhagen Business School to start my master's there. What I found, and I'm not going to say too much about that university, it's an amazing one. It's top business school in the world. But both my wife and I ended up studying there for half a year and then said, we need to go somewhere else. It's not what we're expecting. And this was innovation specifically and business development. What I found there is that there was too much focus on academia and they were not at that point in touch with reality. So that disconnect really bothered me. And it just wasn't worth spending another year and a half in that space. So then from there, coming back to Australia, I had the incredible opportunity to work at a phase one clinical trial unit where we tested brand new medicines and drugs on humans for the first time ever. I'd never been exposed to anything like that before. I've always wanted to work a little bit in health, but this was thrown head first. I came in as a business analyst and we had this 
old access database that a lab tech had built 10 years before, and it was breaking. And the recruitment staff were struggling because they would crash every second day. The data that was going in was not good. The data that was coming out of it was even worse. We've heard flapping crap out, right? Data, data, data everywhere that we just weren't capturing in the right way. That was a very clear example. And through that journey, I had my first touch on entrepreneurship, in this case, entrepreneurship, where we had an interim CEO come in, Michael Creevy, who now runs Endpoint IQ uh, here in Brisbane. Because it was a developer, we looked at this problem, not just of how can we purchase software that costs excessive amounts, 30, 40, $50,000, not a year, sometimes monthly. And we came to the point, well, we can actually build something pretty cool internally to sort this out that leverages our own internal data in a much better way that is much more customizable to what we need it without that massive dollar value on top. Ah, you asked about education. I ended up working in the event tech space with companies like Eventbrite, getting exposed to the, the whole large organization side of things as well. At that point, COVID hit. So event tech died unless you pivoted very quickly to building a online solution. Love the guys over there, but I, I understand what they needed to do. But that gave me the opportunity to use my time to really pursue my master's again. We then took the leap and moved back to Sweden to finish my master's. And here, the reason I chose Lunds University, one, pre-education being Swedish, but also because I really went through all of the universities that had an entrepreneurship program. I didn't want to have something that just gave you article after article after article and gave you no application of it. And what Lunds University, the Stan K. Johnson Institute, what they created was something that they'd proven was actually really, really helping build entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs. The reason I knew that is I spoke to alumni and I found out that many of them had built businesses out of this and used what they learned to make sure that we learn a lot in the first months, half a year, first years of building a business, just like you would when starting a new role. But if you can learn from other people's mistakes, not just from online and trying to find the YouTube video that tells you the best and the greatest, but also apply the latest and greatest of what academia has provided and learn, then that should set you a few steps ahead of others and hopefully help you adapt to scenarios that you otherwise would struggle with, whether that's with building teams or dealing with testing your customers, et cetera, doing customer interviews, mom testing, whatever. The disconnect there was a lot smaller to real life than it was at other places. So that's why I ended up studying entrepreneurship and innovation. Yeah, awesome. Now that you've actually been a founder for, well, several months now, is there anything that you found has been really translatable from what you've learned to your day-to-day -day now? Or is there anything that you've found has not been covered at all? Yeah, for sure. If we think about early on with Ask Felix, we were a bit of a large team and we had a bit of a breakup after just a, a month of working together. And the lessons learned from university on how to deal with, they talk about dealing with grief, which grief can be translated in many different ways. This specifically at university, we learned about dealing with grief once your business has gone bankrupt and your baby is gone. But in this scenario, it was working with some pretty cool people, but then realizing that the path that Ask Felix needed to be taken was different than what the rest of the team wanted. So you're dealing with grief and processing grief is something that I think I learned a lot through, through university. On top of that, talking to customers, Sean, you know this, 
got to talk to customers over and over and over. And the other thing is talking to them in the right way, because customers lie, people lie. If you present a product, then everyone goes, that's, wow, that's amazing. I'd love to use it, but you've already presented the solution and you haven't really asked if that problem is there with that. For example, with mom testing, you go in and you don't talk about the solution. You just talk about them and their day-to-day lives. I found a lot of people that I've spoken to that are starting off, unless they've got that very, very clear experience in that field, they've sort of made up the solution and also made up this problem, but they haven't spoken to enough customers. It's not going to help anyone. And with that in mind, and you and I have had these conversations about customers, how Felix is growing and where we're going with it. We have our baseline of what we believe. We have, just like at university, we have a, a hypothesis. And we're trying to discredit that or prove it, prove it right. And as we're doing it, we're improving that hypothesis and improving what we're building and who we're building it for. So we've gone from very broad when we first spoke to you a month ago to we've narrowed it down to managers. We've narrowed it down to specific type of managers within specific organizations. And now we're getting closer and closer to the first type of customers. Now, on that note, with Felix, the amount of people that have signed up that are from so many different walks of life and industries, it gets hard to look through all that data. Again, who is the best customer here? And the only way to do that, talking to them. So we've had a lot of conversations in the last couple of months of building Felix. With university, we learn a lot about how to not only look at information, but also be very critical of it. And as a team, making sure that we're all across that is really important. So when Lee's building, I'm bringing him in on those conversations, listening to those customers and seeing firsthand on what is the path that needs to be taken. And if you're talking about missing out on stuff, I think one thing that I've seen a lot is we do learn basic finance. We learn different ways of funding and we learn how to sort of start that process. But the reality of pitching to investors, it is a sales process. And I don't think selling is emphasized enough at these university courses. Learning how to sell, learning how to take a no to a yes understand those customer pains. An entrepreneur learns to sell. If they don't know how to sell, then they're screwed, right? They need to hire someone to sell. I think that can be emphasized more at universities. And that's not just for entrepreneurship and innovation. That goes for any course. Because if you're looking for a job and you're talking to a recruiter, what are you doing? Selling yourself, right? So yeah, there's always room for improvement. Awesome. You actually just brought into the conversation Lee, your co-founder. Now, we've not spoken about the origins of Ask Felix just yet. But one thing that I am aware of is that you guys hadn't actually met before coming together to work on Ask Felix. So can you talk me through that process quickly and what the experience was like meeting and building a company with someone you've met for the first time? Yeah. To give a bit of background, as I started this path of trying to build something, had a lot of friends and family say, Thor, why don't you just do it on your own? I'd say, all right, well, yeah, but... We've learned from, again, going back to university, and you've probably read a lot of articles about this as well, is that you have a lot better chance of succeeding if you work with another person, especially in the early days. There's even a mandate of a lot of investors that unless there's two of you, you need to really prove it that you can actually pull it off on your own. So I set out on the path over the last year of finding the right person to spend the next five to 10 to 15 years with. And that's no easy feat. I mean, it took a few months for me to figure out that my now wife should be my girlfriend at that point, 10, 12 years ago. And the way that I approached this, I first joined the Ampler program, which is basically a forced matchmaking where they bring 
on amazing, hungry entrepreneurs that want to build something and push them together. That worked out until it didn't, until I realized that it wasn't working for me. And so as I then came up with the idea of Felix, I found I needed someone with that technical capability to really build it. I went online where I've found a lot of other things. Y Combinator have just recently over the last six to 12 months released a co-founder matching system. They had startup school there, but this sort of matchmaking had really improved as far as I could see. So quickly made a profile on a Wednesday night and popped up with a few developers around APAC. And then Lee popped up, checked him out. He looked good. He had all this incredible experience. He had some pretty cool ideas on what he was building right now as well before he met me. And I hit the connect button. And the next day he booked in a meeting with me, said, yep, you look nice. And we had a one-on-one -on -one online for about an hour. And I said, you know, have a little think about it. And within half a day, he'd come back and said, no, this, this makes sense. And the next day we spent all day figuring out what are we building? What are we working on? How are we going to do this? All the really important stuff. Who are you? Oh, you've got kids. I've got kids, all that stuff. And then I did decide that next week I flew to New Zealand from Brisbane to actually go meet him face to face. You don't want to make that mistake early on of actually not working well together. And after spending three hours walking around in the wilderness out in New Zealand, we realized actually we get along really well with each other. And then the true journey begins. You've probably heard the forming, the storming phases, norming phases of team building. We've been through those a few times. The biggest thing is we really, really listen to each other because we come from such different backgrounds. It's so important to understand how he looks at stuff and I look at stuff. But yeah, no, that's a, it's a great way meeting people online. Why not? Awesome. Well, that's how we connected, right? Let's dive into Ask Felix, the product itself. For our listeners, they'll have a rough idea that, yes, it does data visualization and it's AI powered and you're focusing on managers. So give us a rundown of what Ask Felix actually does, why you're targeting managers specifically, and what makes them the key for your kind of product. Data is the new oil of our era. And there's an abundance of it out there. The problem is it's unreachable for some and it's hard to refine for many. The problem of data is going to be there and it's ever growing. With generative AI, we can now create new data and information in an instant. How do we sift through that and make sure that the people who are flooded and overwhelmed with data can actually get their head above that and make those decisions that they need? And managers in particular, they have more access to data than ever before and are still expected to make informed decisions really quickly. A lot of that decision-making goes onto their shoulders. So that's why managers are the most important target market for us to start with, because they need that information quickly and they need to know what information to look at. And if we think about managers, they're the ones that drive those decisions and enforce them. And the thing is, you could argue, well, Thor, the manager has a team that works for them. And they use the data as well. Yeah, but in the end, it's the manager that helps make that final decision, which path to take. And the reason we want to onboard managers is because it will naturally mean that the rest of their teams will have to be onboarded as well. We want managers in particular to have access to their data in a way that they've never had access before, where they don't have to deal with first finding, then cleaning their data, because data is complex. If you've ever downloaded a CSV file from Google Sheets, it'll take a while to actually process that data and clean it. And then visualizing it, 
visualizing is a way to communicate a specific viewpoint, right? So it can inform you or it can help convince others. In a pitch deck, we use data to show traction or we use data to show a pain point. But internally, we use data to convince others of what we want. It's a way to sell your particular viewpoint, which is also risky. You don't want the data to be skewed. And with Felix, we want to make it in a way where the user understands that there are other things that they might be missing. So it really informs them to improve decisions so that they can be more confident that they're making the right decision. At its baseline, it's uploading an Excel file, a CSV into Felix and querying it using natural language. So speaking to it in a way that you would speak to, you know, you and I are talking to each other. Hey, Felix, show me this. Hey, Felix, show me that. Or what about this? And the reason we want that natural language side to happen is because I'll ask it a certain way and you'll ask it a certain way. But we want Felix to understand both ways that we're asking the same thing, regardless of where we're coming from or the way that we ask it. With Felix, you can deep dive into your data. So it can bring out insights that you might not have found on your own. And as we're progressing, Felix will be able to look at not only just the data you've inserted, but the data in your organization, the data in your industry. So the context of what's happening within your company, how does that look like in the broader world? And then specifically, Felix will ask you, what is your role? So if you're a communication manager and you're doing quarterly reporting for your shareholders, right? You're working with the finance team, you're working with the CEO, whoever's involved in this reporting. Are there things there that Felix can support you with, whether that's automatically generating that report for you as a backbone for you to start your work? Or is it providing you some additional insights that might be valuable for the shareholders? There's so many applications of what we're building with this that I could speak hours about the different ways. But at its core, it's making sure that that manager has access to that data that they need and that they don't have to pay a million dollars a year to set it all up and make it affordable, make it accessible to everyone. It's really simplifying that process. Fantastic. I can definitely see the opportunity space that you're playing in. I think one thing to bear in mind if we circle back all the way to the start of the conversation is the genuine explosion of AI companies in the last few months seems to be more appearing every day, every night, every time you log on to any social media platform, there's a new one popping up. There's even a database of all of the AI companies that, yeah, there's an AI for that. So at a high level, what makes you guys and Ask Felix special? What's the secret sauce that will keep you ahead of the game? 100%. There are so many companies popping up. We're even seeing more established organizations like Tableau, as an example, implementing AI on their front end so that their users can use natural language. So we see that that's going to be commoditized. So it's very, very important to have another differentiator. For us, we train our own models that are specifically being made for data analytics. And really the spectrum of what Felix is going to be able to do there on both the finding, the editing and visualizing, we believe is going to be a lot more advanced than others. And our commitment right now, if there's something that doesn't work for someone, we're bending over backwards to make sure that Felix can actually deep dive into that data and answer those questions that make Felix feel more intelligent than others. Also, a big, big part of it is this simplification. It's not as simple as just like layering a language model on top and hoping that it'll work. Right now, we're seeing things where OpenAI are restricting what you can put into it. A part of our system, what it does, and this is what you're seeing a lot of other organizations do as well, is 
you create a prompt and then put that into OpenAI and OpenAI spits back some information or code specifically in our case that we then utilize. And you could say, well, a lot of people can do that. Yeah. The problem is that these systems right now, or these models, they still spit back sometimes gibberish. So what we work a lot on is making sure that that gibberish gets removed and the actual information that is, is true comes through. I believe that as AI gets more and more advanced and these models get better and better, we're hopefully going to have to stop doing that, which will save us a lot of time and money, which is great. But again, you come back to this competitiveness. Okay, well, then others can do it. Then we come down to industry-specific groups. And that's where we will find it over the next six months, where we fit in the best. But the secret sauce is that we're also very AI model agnostic. So the way that Lee is building this is that we can do fallbacks. So if OpenAI spits back, I'm a natural language model. I don't know what you're saying and I can't do that. We pop over to Google. Okay, Palm 2 says the same thing. All right, we have our own. So Felix said it's core. Picks and chooses the best model that is required for that specific data set. And as we get better at each industry, we get deeper into certain industries, different roles, we'll really be refining parts of Felix for those users in a way that I don't think anyone else is going to be able to do. And a lot of that comes down to the way that Lee thinks. You mentioned early on, I've only been in AI for a little while. That's true. So when Lee explains stuff to me that is pretty technical, it takes a little while for me to catch up and understand. But on a weekly basis, we're getting better on, on me being able to communicate what he does on a, on a technical level and, and feeding it more in a, in a natural, simple way, even though it's very much not simple. And I think the final point there is the secret sauce comes down to we want to keep this as low cost as possible, but being as advanced as possible. We've been told multiple times, you guys need to put a $500 mark on this because the value is that you're actually replacing a lot of people's roles in the future. You're reducing a lot of time spent. It's like, yeah, that's great. But that means we're coming back to that same point of we're restricting who can actually have access to this. And although ChatGPT specifically in this case will be implemented in a lot of organizations, they're not going to trust the data that is being put into the system, i.e., is my data going to train OpenAI's model? I think OpenAI will solve that. I think Google does a good job solving that. But it's the UI and the interface of what Felix is going to be able to do, not only on a data management side, but then flowing into the rest of your organization queries. That's where a big differentiator is as well. You've mentioned that you did this enormous survey at the very start to try and figure out where Ask Felix might best fit in. And I think you said over a thousand responses in that regard. And you're obviously seeing quite a little bit of traction. So I'm just wondering, what kind of traction are you making at the moment? So traction-wise, we've had close to, I think we're at 250 people signed up today, testing it out. Uh, individual organizations from all around the world. We're seeing a lot of traction in the US, but even throughout Asia, throughout Europe, we're getting a lot of visitors on the website. 250 might not sound much in the world of millions of users online, but we've We've barely done any marketing on purpose because we don't want a thousand, two thousand people signing up and it not working for everyone. We want to be able to communicate with each of these users. And because we're a small team, we can't do that if there's too many people coming in, which might sound silly, but for me, it's really important to have those customer interviews and understanding what they're doing. So we have, for example, a large accounting firm out of India reach out. 
huge, huge organization. I was very surprised that they were testing us. And the conversation that we then had was they've invested millions of dollars into their analytics, the way that they host their data, their warehouses, the transformations that are happening, and they've customized tools. But what they wanted to know is what could Felix do beyond that? What are the insights that their teams might not be able to see? And that's, that's something where we want to work towards to be able to onboard those type of companies as well. Because again, if we solve that for them, we're solving it as well for the ones that can't afford these million dollar systems. So traction has been good. Yeah, can't complain. Awesome. It seems like you're on a pretty solid and sustainable growth path there. So last week, as of the week that we're recording, you actually traveled out of Brisbane and down to where I'm based in Melbourne, Australia to come to the Startup Victoria pitch night. Unfortunately, I couldn't make it, but how was it? Incredible. I got to say, out of pitch nights I've been to, that's probably the best one ever. Maybe because I wasn't on stage for it, but really, I think they hit 530 people. Hey, I think if you're a Startup Victoria member, you could get it for free, but I think they had 70% or something like that paid to be part of this, which is incredible. We had a panel everything from Amazon to other large organizations, like big, big swingers in this space that took their time to be part of this. I didn't expect to get through because we're so new and everyone we're standing on stage with had already been working on their programs and their systems for a year, two years, three years. And here we are two and a half months in and pitching. It makes you feel pretty, pretty special. We didn't win and I had no expectation that we would win, but the feedback we received, the amount of users that signed up from that as well, that reached out and wanting to work with us. I mean, it, it does help us look through all the hesitation you might have on taking a certain path. And it does help you go, okay, no, we, we are doing the right thing. We just got to keep iterating and improve. Awesome. Well, perhaps the next iteration of the pitch night down here in Victoria, you might walk away with a gold medal. Oh, for sure. We're going to win the next one. 100%. Lovely ambition. Looking forward to the future then, in that case, what do you think your next steps are going to be in the foreseeable future? Yeah, end of this month, going into early July, we'll be launching the paid version of Ask Felix. So Lee has been knee deep together with me on product, on making sure that we're covering those main pain points and creating something that's stable, reliable, has nice user design, and really covers those very, very basic points of, I want an Excel file to be uploaded. I want to query it. And I want the insights to be drawn from that. And then I want to visualize that and place it in whatever medium that I want, whether that's on a website, whether that's on a Slack channel, we're going to cover that, that basic first. Because once we do that, it opens up so much more for us. So the key steps is launching that, working next month, then going into July, improving those tweaking, 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 not trying to really build something new out of it. And then taking that to really raise our first round of money to then go, okay, look, we've proven this. We were getting paid for it. We've got users that love us. Now let's, let's put some fuel on this fire. Because once we get to that point of having not just paid users, but those first thousand users that really love what we're doing, we can then expand. I have a personal connection on the health space, as I mentioned earlier. I'd love to go, okay, how can we take Ask Felix and merge it with one of my previous startup ideas of clinical trial recruitment, but look at the whole process of drug development, drug discovery, going into the the actual studies and then onboarding and running the study because data is spread out everywhere. There, project managers, they work in Excel files and they send them by email to each other, even in medium, large companies. It's horrendous. 
We need to instead have it in a central point and then work towards big things like SOC 2 compliance, building it so that we can, if an enterprise wants to be onboarded, have all the compliance documentation. Your data is yours. It already is. We don't look at people's data and it's your data, but we want it to make sure that we really fine tune all the privacy. And then the steps out of that is making it more accessible to everyone. What about the people who can't use typical ones, like whether they have some disability that doesn't allow them to utilize typical analytic programs? Why should they not be able to do it? So same thing there. It's not an educational disability that they have or lack of education. It's, it's something that they can't really solve. So if we can help solve that, I think that's even greater. There's a lot in what I'm saying. We've got big ambitions, but we got to start small, solve that first use case really well. Because if we can't do that, then, you know, we might as well not. Yeah. All right. You've mentioned potentially chatting with investors a little bit later on in the year, and I'm guessing that means that somewhere down the line, you'll be looking to raise some money and scale a lot faster than you might be on your current trajectory. But investors aside, are there any dream organizations that you'd want to partner with in order to help you grow? I think one really amazing organization that I'd like to work with is a company called Gapminder. Their whole purpose is to help improve the world using data. So Hans Rosing, the original founder of that, is actually from Sweden. And to this day, I still regret not seeing he was actually speaking in Lund. And I decided to instead sit and play computer games instead of going and looking at him. Then he passed away. So I never got that opportunity again. Lazy student back in the day. But working with them in order to bring the data that they've highlighted can actually help people around the world understand data. So, for example, if we could work with census data. Right now, if you've ever worked with census data here in Australia, it is, it's messy. It's difficult. Last year, I spoke to probably 50 market researchers in Sweden and in Australia. And the one thing they both said is, hey, Thor, if you could solve for a way for me to speak to census data faster and easier, I'll pay whatever you want because the time savings. Now, imagine that for university students. Imagine that for market research. Like there's so many aspects of that. I think I'm not going to say I want to work with government directly right just yet, because that might slow us down a bit, but we need to have those conversations pretty soon. Other dream organizations, we'll just stick with Gapminder for right now. That's a good enough one. The answer will probably change in six months, three months. (laughs) And in the process of getting to where you want to go over the short to medium term, do you think there's any additional skills that you might need to help you get there? Yeah. So continuing upping my understanding of the latest and greatest of AI. Google just released a whole course about that. I've used deep learning. I used their courses in the past, but you have to stay up front and center. I can't just expect Lee to come in and answer all the questions every time. The more I learn about it, the better conversations we can have. And also on the funding side, I need a few more leads in reality, but I need to also speak to more leads. So I need to speak the language there a lot better. Awesome. Okay. You've loosely painted the vision of your ideal future world where you mentioned accessible data for everybody, a step towards universal basic income. If you can flesh that vision out in more detail, if everything goes right for you and for Ask Felix, what do you think the world will look like? If we do everything right with Ask Felix, we will solve a lot of people's daily problems and not just solve their problems, but enhance their work. My thing there is I really want small companies small businesses, medium businesses, to be able to use their data to compete against the big boys. Because in this world, unless you're at that top, you're fighting this big wave. Yeah, it's great. You got a car, this little niche out, but 
I think using data in the right way can enhance so many people's roles, so many people's companies, which then in turn will then hopefully help more people. So if everything goes right, every hundredth manager in Australia to start with has some connection with Ask Felix. I think if we can hit that point, the data that we'll capture from that to continue learning and improving our systems to then help them more, I think will be so scalable and so amazing. I do hope that Felix will allow also those users that have that annoying manager that asks them really dumb questions to just go and, hey, just go ask Felix that. I don't need to show you that. It's there. They're not too lazy to find it. They just know that you can find it faster and better than they can. But if Felix can do that, that means you and your role will be able to focus on doing more fun work, right? Which frees up time. I don't believe that we should spend five days working 12-hour days on jobs all the time. I think you should spend four days working if you want and spending the fifth day more with your family. And it doesn't have to be eight hours. It could be six hours because we can, with AI and with this access to data, we can do things a lot faster. We can do things a lot better. Shouldn't we benefit from that as humans? Why should that just mean more work? No, it should mean we, hey, now I can do this job faster. Great. Let's stick to that. So we can work on our creativity instead, on helping our society. I'd love to see 100 companies having Felix at their core as part of their product of what they built in the next couple of years. So it goes just beyond just helping individual customers, but also creating brand new businesses as well. Awesome. Finally. If we were to get to the vision where you can only work four days a week and spend the last day pursuing your creative passions or spending more time with your family, that's clearly a pretty big gap from where you are at now working 12-hour days. So what do you think you personally need to do to get to that goal of yours? Very good question. To build what we want to build is going to take time, but I do believe that we can get to a a state in the next two years where we don't have to spend these hours. I don't really have a good answer for that, to be honest. What do I need to do to not work long hours? Well, one is very clearly is be more efficient with our time as much as we can. Maybe we'll ask Felix to help organize our time a little bit in the future. Getting more team members on board, getting the right team members on board, building partnerships with organizations, understanding what's been built before, how we can leverage that without having to recreate new things everywhere. It's very easy when you've got a developer who's extremely talented and when we're tackling things like data transformation to spend time doing our own data transformation, when in reality, there might be a few systems out there that can already do that really well. Long-term, it might be more beneficial for us to do it in-house, but if we can get the cash to spend on these existing systems, and the only way to do that is one, customer revenue or through investors. The speed at which we can get to either one of those, I would prefer revenue, obviously. Well, Thor, thank you so much for the conversation today. The last thing I'll get you to do is to share any social media or contact info in case anyone, potentially a manager requiring help with their data, wants to get in touch with you. Yeah, easiest is Thor at askfelix.ai or reach out to me on LinkedIn, Thor Martinberg. Those are really the best ways to do it. Thank you for this conversation. I think your questions help highlight a lot of ideas that we need to bring forward. And there's a lot happening in this space. I'm glad you had a podcast focusing on AI as well and the the startup space. So thank you, Sean. Awesome. Thank you once again, Thor. That's it for today's episode of Promise. 
be sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes on your favorite podcast platform. Do you think you or someone you know would have ideas worth sharing? Send me an email to sean at promise.fm. Otherwise, subscribe and stay tuned to learn from tomorrow's heroes and what we've got is promise.